this is our second week in the book of John. And just as we're getting there, and listen, no condemnation, but, you know, bring a Bible. This is just, that's what we do. We spend, like, a lot of time in the Word of God. Um, it's one of my hopes that as we read through it and teach through it, you guys can, like, see these aren't just, you know, my ideas. This is the Word of God. This is what God has said to us. So it's nice to have a Bible in front of you. Um, I'm going to read John 1, 19 to 34. Uh, and just real, real quick recap, if you weren't here last week, we started the book of John, we read the first, whatever, 18 verses, and John, the writer, was wanting us to focus on the identity of Jesus, and he had six things about the word of God and all these crazy things, characteristics, he was with God, he's eternal, he made all things, all those things about Jesus, the first prologue was about the identity of Jesus. This week, as we're in verses 19 to 34, the author, John, is now going to apply that concept of, the, of identity to us, okay? So it's, he started like, hey, look at Jesus. This is what Jesus is. But now, as we look and are introduced to this character, John the Baptist, we're going to be looking at the concept of identity. So he's like, okay, here's who Jesus is. Now I want to teach you some things about, the, about your identity. So we're going to read these of however many verses this is, look at the ministry of John the Baptist, and get going. So I'll read, and then we will pray. John 1.19 says this, and this will be a little confusing because the author wrote the book of John, but now he's talking about John the Baptist. So this, he says, and this is the testimony of John, John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Hear that? That's a crucial sentence. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. That's dramatic. These things took place in Bethany across Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom it is said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. That's Jesus. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I, now this is John the author, and I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Jesus, thank you for your word. Lord, that you have given us truth from heaven. This is not just a book. This is not just someone's ideas like this is God breathed. This has all the authority in the world, what we just read. This is your word. 
So God, I just ask that you would teach us more of who you are, that you would teach us more of who we are in you, Lord. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you're here. It's so obvious that you're here. Thank you when your manifest presence just comes and blesses us. And God, we ask that the same thing would happen as we open your word and study your word, that your spirit would just fall on this place. I just, just now reading this, Lord, where when it said, I saw Jesus coming to me. Would we like see Jesus right now? Would we see Jesus coming to meet with us? And when it said, and the, the spirit descended on him, Lord, would your spirit just descend? Would it keep falling on this room, Lord? We want to see you and experience you. We want to taste and see that you are good. So help us to do that as we look and study and wrestle with your word. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Who are you? What do you say about yourself? John has asked that question three times in these verses. Uh, what would you say, though? Like, if, if I were to walk up to you, if someone were to walk up to you, if a reporter were to walk up to you, because, of course, that would happen, they would ask you, hey, who are you? What do you say about yourself? Who are you? Think about what, what would you say. Uh, that question of identity is a huge question, especially for our age. Especially for our age, it's just, it's a question. I was reading this book um, where this guy was, inter- he was talking to his grandpa, who was like old grandpa, lived in the greatest generation in World War II. And he was asking him about like, hey, so, you know, did you wrestle with these issues of identity and like, who am I? What's my purpose in the world and all this stuff? And the grandpa was just looking at him like, I literally, I don't even know what you're talking about. We just like live. We just, I just work. I like had a family and I did my job. I didn't like think about this. For whatever reason, our generation, we're asking that question of ourselves and one another. Like, who am I? What do I say about myself? Like, is it my family? Am I my family? Maybe some of you are like, yeah, that's, that shaped me. Some of you are like, no, I don't want to be my family. Or, am I what I do? Like right now I'm a student, so that's my identity. Or I'm a job, that's my identity. Or, okay, yeah, I do that now, but like, but my future job, that's me. Like, I know I'm working the coffee shop right now, but listen, I'm going to be here. That's my identity. This isn't my identity. Is, am I my desires? Like, what I long for? Um, who I'm attracted to? Is that my identity? And even as I just bring these questions up, at least I'll testify, it causes like stress for me sometimes. I'm like, oh my gosh, who am I? What is like, am I going to leave my mark? What's my identity? What's my calling? Like, it's pressure. And for some of us, it brings, like, this fear of failure, right? Like, well, I want to be this, but what if I don't achieve it? Then, like, am I, like, failing in my identity? Um, maybe what else it does is brings comparison, right? Like, you're like, who am I? Well, look at them. I'm not them. I want to be like them. And we, like, compare our identities with one another, and it's just, it's, like, depressing when we do that. Um, maybe for some of us, when we're pursuing our identity, it can lead to pride, like, hey, I like who I am. I like what I've accomplished. I like that I'm on this team or I have this job or my body looks this way or I'm known by these people. It causes pride. Um, it also can lead to like, in many cases, it can lead to this like, this workaholic sense of like, I got to maintain that though. Like, and I'm like stressed. And so I just got to keep achieving to hold on to my identity. Um, three years after, the three years after I graduated college, some of you know this, I worked full time at Starbucks Coffee on State Street. And uh, I wanted to go to grad school, and I didn't get to go to grad school. And long story short, God made it very clear to my wife and I, we were graduating college, we were uh, engaged, that, hey, you're called to this church family, and that's all I'm saying. And so there was no job for me here. I knew I was, like, felt called to ministry. I felt called to go to seminary. 
Um, and God was like, hey, listen, you're just supposed to be here. So for three years, I worked with my college degree. I brought my college degree, hung it up on the wall, and worked at Starbucks. Like, that's what I did. And honestly, I severely struggled with my identity for three years. Because here's what happens. You graduate college. I'm married. I go home. I meet people. You, you see someone who you graduated with a year later. And here's the question. Hey, so what are you doing? I'm like, um, yeah, just working, you know, working, you know, being a husband and just trying to frame it. And then it would eventually get to this point where I had to say, well, right now I'm just working at Starbucks. But listen, like, here's a plan, blah, blah, blah. And it was just like a spear to my soul and my identity. Every time someone asked me what I did, I was like, I am a failure. Like, I just feel like I should just walk around like scarlet letter F on my chest. That's who I am. I am a failure. Uh, I found all my worth in, in what I did. And so I lost my worth. I like struggled with my worth. I struggled. Am I failing at life? Here's my college degree, and I'm more educated than everybody working in this store, and they're telling me what to do, and I'm washing dishes in the back, and I had like legitimate existential identity crisis like every day. I'm not kidding. You ask my wife. I was legitimately depressed for like over a year. I remember just the picture of it. I was so just overwhelmed and bummed at who I was that I was just working at a coffee shop, which is ridiculous, by the way. But I, I was ashamed of myself. And I remember I went in to clean the bathroom and I just felt like this pressure on my chest. And I like leaned up against the door. And you know you do like the like squat against the and I like I like crumbled to the floor and I'm in the bathroom and I'm just like, I this is I am nothing. That's how I honestly felt about myself. On top of all of that, maybe you can resonate, maybe not, I hope not. Uh, if you graduate college, it's coming. So we have to wrestle with this issue. Um, on top of all of that. We live in a culture and in a world that are saying a couple of specific things that only make it harder. And if, you, if I could sum up what we're hearing every day through music and through what we watch and through social media, etc., is this. You are what you make of yourself. That's what's being told to you all day long. Who are you? You are what you make of yourself. You decide who you are. It may be your accomplishments. It may be like leaving your mark on the world. I just listened to the new Macklemore song, and he says, I hear you die twice. Once when they bury you in the grave, and the second time is the last time somebody mentions your name. He's saying, like, that's, that's how you live. Like, number one, yeah, you die, but do you know when you really die? When everybody forgets you. And you're just like, oh. There's this, these famous statues throughout history. There's been different versions of them of of men like carving themselves out of stone. And it's this picture of what our society says. You have your anvil, or what is that called? Your chisel, hammer and chisel? I don't, you have these two tools, and your life is what are you going to do? What are you going to make for yourself? Who are you going to be? It's kind of like this old school Greek mythology type of idea. Though you will die, will you leave behind your legacy? Will you leave behind your mark? That's kind of like one big idea of accomplishments. Another version of that that's more recent is not only are you your accomplishments, that's your identity, it's we're hearing even more, you are your desires. What you feel is who you are. That's what we're being told. So your sexual, your sexual feelings are your identity. That's that. If you feel a certain way, that's who you are. And like, where did that come from? That just, we're just being told that. God didn't say that, but we are now told if you desire something, if you feel something, that is who you are. 
if you feel like a specific gender, that is who you are. We are told, listen, let your heart be your guide. Follow your heart because that is who you are. And to not do so would be to deny you who you are, to deny your essence. And that may be the greatest crime in our culture is to deny who you are. To say to your identity, nope, I'm going this way. When people see, people spend their Friday night like trying to seek God, they're like, you're wasting your life. Like, go pursue your desires. You're missing out. We are told you are your desires. Now, I, I love God's word, and he actually, he knows the human heart, and he speaks to these questions. And tonight is a group of people coming to a man, and they're obsessed with figuring out his identity. They're like, who are you? We need to know. This is, this is messing with us. It was messing with our system. Who are you? And they're obsessed with figuring out the identity of John the Baptist. And as John interacts with them, and as he proceeds to show us Jesus, he shows us and models us essential truths for how we think about identity, okay? So real quick, we're going to walk through the story, and then we're going to talk about it. So the context is this. Take a breath. There has been silence from heaven for 400 years, okay? There used to be prophets, used to be miracles. God used to, like, do cool stuff. 400 years of silence. Just picture that. Picture if you went 400 years and never heard from God. No first set of worship with the presence of God. 400 years. People were born and they died. No new word from God. No more prophets, scripture. Heaven just went silent. They're like, well, God gave up on us. Then all of a sudden, there's this man with like dreadlocks and animal skins off in the desert, like dunking people in water and calling out the religious establishment. And people are like, wait, is this God? Is this, I don't know. Let's go see. And so he's, he's calling out the government. He's calling out the Jewish leaders. He's talking to soldiers, and he's just off in the desert, dunking people, calling them to repent of their sins. And then as all of this is happening, the religious leaders are like, this guy is like, at the very least, stirring things up. Maybe he's from God. Maybe he's not. I don't know. So they send people to him to find out, hey, who are you? Who, what are you doing? Who do you think you are? And so he, they come up to him in verse 19 where we start. I'm going to read us the first two verses. says this, When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So really quick, he was like the most exciting thing to happen in their nation in 400 years. Like he had hundreds, if not thousands of people like coming to him saying, I'll do anything you want. Tell me what to do. Uh, and naturally people would wonder, is this the Messiah? Is this the promised one? Is this the fulfillment of all these promises? And you know what? Like, it probably felt good to be John, right? Picture silence. All of a sudden, you have this amazing ministry, thousands of people, government people, soldiers, the religious leaders, and, and it probably felt pretty good. And so he says, you know what? I'm not the Christ. That, that right there was a difficult thing to say, and it was probably disappointing for everyone around, like, oh, he's not the Christ? So then, verse 21 and they asked, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Really quick context there. There were prophecies in the book of Malachi and Isaiah that uh, Elijah, in a sense, would come again. And he would make way for the Messiah. And then there are these prophecies in Deuteronomy saying, another prophet like Moses is coming. And he's going to get you ready. And so they're saying, 
are you, are you Elijah? And what's crazy is he says, no, I'm not. And then are you, are you the prophet? No, I'm not. And what's interesting, if you're a Bible scholar, you're like, well, doesn't Jesus call him Elijah a couple books ago? And, and all we really have to say there is John didn't identify himself as, the, as Elijah, the very least. And, and maybe in some sense he was the promise of Elijah coming, but he's like, no, I'm not Elijah. So he just denies everything. Verse 22, so they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? This obsession with identity and who is he and what do we think about him? And look what he says, verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Okay, so what we're going to do, we're going to look at, we're going to focus in on those verses. And there are three things John teaches us three things about identity. And here they are. And the first one is this. First truth about identity. You ready? You are not God. For some of you are like, what are you saying? For others you are like, oh my goodness. You are not the Messiah. You are not Jesus. Uh, people wanted John to be, and he says, you know what? I'm not. He models the first important truth of our identity as human beings is we are not God. Uh, now, listen, we, like John, may have a lot of stuff going for us, awesome ministry, popularity, success, but the first kind of lesson he's saying is, hey, don't think too highly of yourself. And in verse 27, he not only says, I'm not the Messiah, he says, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. Not only am I not God, I am, just picture this, if Jesus walked in the room, we and John the Baptist would not be worthy to untie his shoes. Not only to say, I'm not God, he's like, I am lower. At, in that culture, because they walked in dirt roads and wore sandals, feet were like the nastiest part of your body. And uh, it was only a slave or a servant who would untie someone's shoes. Like that was the lowest job. Just, it was, just think about today. What is the lowest possible job there could be? In that culture, it was stooping down and untying and cleaning someone's shoes. And he says, you know what? I'm not even worthy to be the slave of the Messiah. I am that low. Now, take that and now think about our culture and what you're told all day long in songs. You are the captain of your own ship. You decide your destiny. Follow your desires. Do you know what we're saying over here? We're saying, I am God and I can make my life whatever I want, and I can decide to do whatever I want, and however I feel, I get to do it because I am God. And John the Baptist over here is saying, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. You know what is honestly the worst thing we do to kids? Say, hey, you can do anything you want. That's like the biggest setup for failure there ever is. Like, you just can't. I could not be a gymnast. I cannot touch my toes. And if I wanted to, and that was my, like, that's ridiculous. How honestly unfair that we were told, you can do anything you want to do. You can be anything you want to be. And maybe, you know, it was an overcorrection because our parents were like, just make ends meet and be faithful. And there's something cool to like, yeah, dream, change the world. But listen, you can't do anything you want. You're not God. You are a human being. Now, hear this hard truth as good news. It is liberating when you learn you are not God. That's actually like the best news you could hear. You are limited. You are a creature. You cannot do everything, which means you're not supposed to do everything. The burden of the universe is not on your shoulders. If we 
tragedy as it would be, got blown up right now, guess what would happen tomorrow? Everything. We, the world would go on. The universe would go on. There'd be some sad people, but the universe would continue. And it is absolutely liberating for our identity when we learn to not think too highly of ourselves. Listen, do you know why we're stressed? Because we feel like the whole world is on our shoulders. God is saying, John the Baptist is saying, listen, you're not. There's a rock higher than you are. There's someone else who's stronger and smarter and fully able to provide for you. Go to him. Look to him. Psalm 61, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. There is someone higher than you. If, if you live in rebellion against God, God is saying, hey, you are not your own God. And you may feel free for a moment. You may feel like this, like I can do anything I want. But in love, let me say this, there will, stay, there will come a day when you will stand before the true God and give an account for everything you have done. If you are in ministry and you like serving people, listen, this is maybe the most important truth for people in ministry. You are not Jesus. You are not the Messiah. You can't even save people. You can't heal people in your own strength. And good job loving the people God has called you to. But listen, Jesus alone is the Messiah. And Jesus alone is able to carry burdens of people's lives. And when you take on people's burdens and their brokenness, you're like, I have to fix them. Like, you will break because you are not the Messiah. There's another one. His name is Jesus. Look to him. And so when I was at Starbucks and I felt like the universe was missing out on the 40 more hours of ministry that could have been happening, I'm like, God, honestly, the universe is waiting. And 40 hours, like, what, what are you doing right now? He re- Do you know what Jesus needed to remind me and pound into me for three years? You are not me. You are not me. You're not indispensable. I am. I've got it covered. You need to be still and know that I am God. And you know what it says right after that in in Psalm 46? I will be exalted in the nations. Hey, be still. I've got this. I will be. It's a guarantee. Praise God that we want to change the world and do awesome things for the glory of God. But the first thing you need to do if you actually want to make a difference, like John the Baptist, is realize I am not the Messiah. There is another one. His name is Jesus. Okay, now that stings a little bit, Um, but let me get into the second truth that John wants us to know about our identity. Though we are not God and not even worthy to untie his sandals, verse 29 shows us that you are radically loved by God. You know what the second thing about your identity is? You are loved by God. Though you are not God, he loves you. Now we're going to develop this a second from John, uh, verse 29. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, stay with me. He calls, this is the first time someone referred to the Messiah as the Lamb of God. That's a new phrase, never been said before. Um, Why is that? Throughout the Bible, God has, he uses lambs as sacrifices and substitutes. Lambs would step in to save people's lives. As ridiculous as that is, that's what happens. Isaac was about to be sacrificed by his dad, if you remember that story. And God's like, no, wait, and he provides a ram. In Egypt, all the firstborn sons, which how many of us are firstborn sons? I am, any a few of us? No, just a couple. We would be dead unless God says, hey, I'm providing a way out. Kill a lamb, put its blood on the door. You don't die. In the tabernacle and the temple, 
God provided a way for our sins to be forgiven, to be covered, atoned for by the sacrifices of lambs and bulls and goats. And so this is the point. God has always used lambs to say, though you are sinful, though you aren't even worthy to untie my shoes, I love you and I've provided a substitute to take away your sin so that lamb would be fully punished and you can be fully forgiven and accepted by me. And you know what all those lambs were pointing to? The lamb of God, Jesus, who would take away the sins of the world. That's the first time the Bible uses the phrase take away in, in terms of sin. It was always covered, it was atoned for, it was expiated, it was all these things. But this is the first time sin is actually like taken away and put away. Jesus takes away our sin, that whoever of us would be willing to humble ourselves and say, I need a savior. And I trust in the lamb of God that we would be fully accepted and forgiven and loved by God. Now listen, you have to accept the first truth of your identity before you can accept the second, okay? You have to humble yourself and admit, not only am I God, not God, I'm a sinner, and I need rescuing, and I need to repent and confess and acknowledge I need a lamb to take away my sin. And when I accept that first truth, I'm ready to, to discover and accept this second truth that I stand as the beloved of God. Now listen, do you know what's cool about that part of your identity? It can't be taken away. Listen, it's not earned, it's not achieved, it is accepted as a gift. Every other part of your identity can be taken away. Every other part of your identity can be lost. If you can earn it, you can lose it. But the free gift of God, the blood of Jesus shed for your sins, cannot be like scrubbed off. Satan can't do it. If you trust in the love of God, you are secure in your identity as the beloved of God. And you know what? One of the hardest parts um, when we think about our identity and who am I, is we live in like fear and comparison and we're not really sure who we are. Yet listen, there is a truth that is outside of you, that is declared by God over you. This is who you are. That cannot be lost. I am the beloved of God. Accepted before I do anything awesome from God and still accepted when I fail because that's why he came. And so for me at Starbucks, Jesus needed to teach me, listen, I don't want you to serve me because I need you, but because I love you. You see how it's like, you see how it's different? He's like, I don't need you. I, I'll be exalted, but I love you. And so I want to include you in what I'm doing in the world. Jesus is just fine without me. The universe is fine without me. The church is just fine without me. But because Jesus loves me, he's like, hey, I want to include you. I want to bring you into what I love to do, to telling people about me and going to the nations. But I have to daily remember that I'm not him. And the main thing about me is that I'm loved by him. I'm not him. And then the third truth John shows us about our identity is this. This is so important for us, our generation. Number three, your unique identity isn't the main thing. So you do have a unique identity. You are a snowflake. John the Baptist was unique. He was unique. God gave him an identity, gave him a family, gave him special gifts, a special ministry, an awesome ministry. Jesus later says, 
among those born of women, which I think means everybody, he says, there was no one greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was awesome. He had a cool identity. But when people asked him about his identity, he didn't, ex- he didn't waste time t- talking about who he was. He redirected people to Jesus. He was like the most awesome guy, and he didn't spend a single like, sentence. All he said was, no, I'm not the Messiah. No, no, no. I, let me tell you who I am. I want to tell you about Jesus. He had an awesome identity, but he set it aside and refocused people on Jesus. We are obsessed with answering, who am I? How am I unique? And do you know what your answer should be? Do you know what? It doesn't matter that much. It matters who Jesus is. And it matters that people know who Jesus is. And I'm not too concerned with knowing who I am. Because I'm a bad judge, and I think I'm this, and then I'm this, and I'm all over the place. But I know who Jesus is. And I want people to know who Jesus is. And I want to use everything I can to point people to the main thing, that's Jesus. You are unique, and God loves you and has a plan for you. But the main thing about you is Jesus, making much of Jesus. And that's what John shows us in verses 19 to 28. He's like, listen, I want to talk about Jesus. And that's what he keeps doing when he finishes from 24 to 34. And then a couple chapters later, in chapter 3, he says, you know what? He must increase and I must decrease. Are you willing to say that over your identity? Do you know what? I want my identity to like decrease. I want less of me. I want to think about me less. And I want Jesus to increase. Which means that whoever you are and whatever you're doing and whatever unique gifts you have, your desire should get your own eyes and other people's eyes off of you and on to Jesus. To say, look at him. To say, behold Look at the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. I'm just, all I can do is tell you about him. Look at Jesus. And you know, I love John, the author, ends verse 34, and he like puts in his own little comment, you know what? And I've seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. He's like, I want a piece of that. I want, I want people to know, yeah, this is, look at Jesus. I'm not the Christ. C.S. Lewis um, talks about this idea of the joy and freedom in self let me try and say this right, self-forgetfulness, which he basically explains is this. Your day is far better when you're not thinking about yourself and you're not obsessed with yourself. Now, like, you may be awesome and you could think some awesome things about yourself. You'd be impressed with yourself. That's maybe a good day, but do you know what a better day is? When you're seeing something so awesome and so amazing and so glorious, you just forget about yourself and you're like, that is amazing. Like, whatever it is, just a concert, you know, why, you know why concerts are awesome? Because we just forget about ourselves for like an hour or two hours, and we're looking at something else that's awesome. It's so good for our soul. When you appreciate art or nature, we like, you just learn, wow, look at that. And our souls were made to not be bent inward thinking about ourselves. You were designed, literally created, to like look outward and behold and reflect glory. Like that's like, your design is like the mirror. So I, what if a mirror like wants to curl in and look at itself? Like things just get distorted and weird and there's nothing to look at. But when you look at some, when, when someone awesome stands in front of a mirror, then a mirror is like doing its job, right? You were designed to behold and be outward focused to look at the glory of God. And that's true of God. That's just true, like I said, of anything. When you eat good food, you just, you're like, oh, this is awesome. My wife and I just camped in the Grand Canyon and it was just awesome to spend day after day after day in awe of something else. It was so nice, which, you know, it's, it's such a relief when we get to forget about ourselves. because who really even knows, like, who, we, who here is like, hey, I know my identity, I'm confident in my identity, I'm confident in my own skin, like, 
we're not, this is just such like a, a place of turmoil. And to obsess over who, who am I and what do people think about me, it's just maddening. Like, it's just maddening. But God says, look at me. Spend your time fixing your attention on me. Now, really quick, I don't want to just throw out, like, you do have a special calling. You were created in the womb by God. All the days of your life are written in his book. He has a plan for you. It's written down. He knows the plans he has for you, and they're good. Especially if you're his son or daughter, all things will work for good. And so he, he has a unique calling and a unique plan and a unique identity, and it's fun to discover that. That's a fun part of life. Self-discovery, is a, it's fun. It's cool. Like, oh, you know what? I'm good at this. And when we're in community and people are like, hey, you're actually good at this. And also, hey, you're not. I know you think you're good at this, but you're not. That's actually liberating too when you're like, okay, yeah, that's, that's better. Um, it's, it's fun as we like try and serve the church and serve the world and we discover how God made us. And that's like a lifelong process and enjoy it. But hear this, don't make it your main thing. Don't make that your one goal, especially as you're like in college and graduating and we're in this age where we're trying to find out what's my career and my purpose and my calling. God is sovereign. He's going to get you there. Look at Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. He'll lead you, right? Like he doesn't say, if you obsess, eventually I'll show you what it is. Do you know what he says in, in Psalm 23? You're a sheep and you're not that smart, but there is a shepherd who knows where you're going to go. It's exactly what it says. It's a quote. You're not that smart, but there's another shepherd. And if you follow him, here's your goal in life. Stick to the shepherd. Guess what he'll do? He'll lead you in paths of righteousness. You want to obsess as a sheep about well, what's around that corner? And I don't know. That looks kind of scary. Like, you're a sheep. Of course it's scary. You need a shepherd with a staff who's going to lead you. Your goal in finding out your God's call for your life is stay close to Jesus. And he will lead you. He's God. He's able to do it. I'll testify he is able to lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, for his glory, not for your unique sheep ministry life. Look at that sheep. Listen, look at the shepherd. Spend time fixing your eyes on Jesus. Now, we're going to spend time just doing that right now. We're going to fix the eyes of our hearts and posture our bodies to like behold the Lamb of God. That though you were a rebel running away, he, he came after you and he laid his life down for you and he took the punishment that we deserved. That way we could be called beloved sons and daughters of God. So right now we're just gonna fix our eyes on Jesus. You may be all over the place. Some of you may just be hyped and like, I just wanna worship Jesus. Some of you may be like really stressed out. Some of you may have burdens. Some of you may have questions. Some of you are in sin like right now. But listen, when... Do you know what we should do with our burdens and our questions and our stress and our sin? Bring it to Jesus. Because when we bring all of that junk to Jesus, he says, I'll wash it away. I'll carry your burdens. Come to me. My yoke is easy. So right now, if you're just jacked, listen, just go to Jesus. You don't got to figure out your life. You don't have to, you can't. You're not him. Come to Jesus. Come to our shepherd. And together, we're going to behold Jesus. Practically, we have carpets right here to just like, Lay down if you need to. This whole room is free. You can go take your own row if you want. You can dance. You could do whatever. We have communion right here to remember. God doesn't just love you. He like specifically loved you in an act of laying his life down and was broken. God's love for you isn't just he has a nice feeling towards you. He like died for you. And so when we take communion, we remember God 
became a man and was broken and bled out and literally died for my sin. And so as we do that, we remember the specific love of God. And then the last thing is we're going to have people on the left and right who are awesome and love the Lord and aren't weird, and they're going to pray for you if you need prayer. Um, honestly, you guys, confess your sin. Confess your sin today. If it's to a friend, if it's to the Lord, if it's the prayer team, like, bring it to Jesus. There is such freedom when you get your sin out to Jesus. He already knows about it. He already died for it. And there will be freedom as you come to him. So let me pray for us, and then we're just going to look and behold the Lamb of God right now. Jesus, thank you that, you that you came for us and you came as a lamb, a perfect lamb, and you perfectly obeyed, and you alone are the Messiah, and you alone were able to go to the cross and take the wrath of God against our sin and pay for it, that if we would just humble ourselves and admit our need for you, we would be called sons and daughters of God, forgiven and accepted, and we could walk with you all the days of our life. Holy Spirit, would you just help us now? Would you just lead this time? Would you glorify Jesus? Give us faith if we're doubting. Give us courage to confess our sin because of what you have done on the cross. This is a safe place. Help us to behold you, Jesus. Help us to worship you. Help us to be lavish in our worship. Like Mary, who spent a year's worth of savings just to anoint your feet. We be lavish right now. You are worthy, Jesus, of our worship. You are worthy of our affection. You are worthy of our praise. There is no one like you. Would we not hold back? Would we taste and see and get all the goodness of God that we can in your presence right now?